A reading from the book of Isaiah. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol, or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary mortals, that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey by the time he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. A reading from the letter of Paul to the Galatians. When the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law in order to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as children. And because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. Hear what the spirit is saying to God's people. The Holy Gospel of Jesus the Christ according to Luke. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the loneliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lift up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever the gospel of Christ. May we pray. Loving God, we ask that you would uh, take my words and anoint them by your Holy Spirit, that we might receive from you today living bread that will nourish our souls and help us to magnify you in these days. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I uh, mentioned at the beginning of the service, that today uh, the church remembers and celebrates Mary, and so that's the focus of the sermon today. But for just as an aside in our Old Testament reading, some of what was translated previously as virgin in older translations are now translated slightly differently. And I, I say that because one of the passages is the one we had from Isaiah, where you'll find that it says here now, it says, look, the young woman is with child. And a lot of the time, what was previously translated virgin has now been translated more accurately as being a young woman. Now, I'm not going down that rabbit hole today. I just mentioned that as an aside because that's a completely other subject that completely would blow apart any sermon. But I mention it just because it's there and also uh, the original uh, translation of Emmanuel, which is I, not E, as well, which you can see there too. So it's just a couple of uh, sort of comments uh, that we have there. But of course, we have this prophecy from Isaiah, and Isaiah is full of good news. 
I was uh, following a conversation earlier today and uh, someone who was really struggling was feeling that Isaiah was condemnatory. And so I pointed her to a few passages that completely changes that. And so I hope that was helpful for her, but we'll see as, as the days go on. But I, I wanted to mention that because in Isaiah, you also have the prophecies around eunuchs, for example. I touched on those last year, which is eunuchs is again a catch-all term that these days we would see as having different identities and uh, sexualities and all sorts of other things like that too. The truth is, for eunuchs in those days, they were treated as having being neither male or female and that somehow they were kind of let lost in the system. And the prophecy in Isaiah was that a God would give to eunuchs, even to eunuchs, a name more precious than sons and daughters. It's just another sign of the radical, topsy-turvy, upside-down values of the kingdom of God, which we see. And in the same way as people have shaped and molded uh, the narrative of scriptures to suit their own ends, and here I'm going to just say one word in relation to that, gender, because for too long the narrative has been controlled by the men, and they've used it to diminish the women. And I say that because if you go through the scriptures, you'll find just how deeply subversive God is when it comes to issues of gender. But I'm going to digress if I'm not very careful, because that is not the purpose of today, although I am going to focus in on Mary. But I wanted just to note the facts that so often the people who've been told that they do not have a place at the table, that they have. It's just those who were the doorkeepers kept people out. I just just kind of just put that out there as one of those little landmines that I like to throw out occasionally and it'll eventually go bang at another point. But I think it's important just to kind of like clear the ground. And it is clearing the ground that I want to do with Mary today. The Magnificat, which we have, in which there are so many beautiful arrangements to the Magnificat. I'm being privileged to sit in many a, a fancy building uh, where the Magnificat is sung in different places. And it is amazing and jaw-droppingly beautiful and ever so subtly, they've changed the emphasis of the passages to make it less uncomfortable for rich and powerful people. The hymnary has changed over the times. You'll rarely find a version of the Magnificat that really highlights the discomfort that should be felt by people who are rich and proud. <laughs> but it's there. It's ever so subtly softened and softened and softened. Even the version that we're having later on uh, today has softened those kinds of things. And so I want to kind of note that as we go through this. But I also want to be very careful that we don't use the Magnificat for our own ends. There are many people who have a very Marian, which is a Mary tradition, and they use this as to justify a kind of a Marian approach, making Mary central to acts of worship. And I would respectfully kind of go, I think you're pushing this text too far to do that. Certainly, it refers to the fact that, that future generations will call uh, Mary blessed. And of course, Elizabeth, her cousin, is the first one to do so. But that's not the same as making her a central feature in that. Because what is crucial about this is she's pointing away from herself towards God. And so worship always needs to take us towards God. And how we get there, that's different. You can get there in different ways. That's fine. 
But always, always, we need to make sure that central is this worship of God. We'll come back to that a little bit later on. Mary, though, really does put the rest into the shade. And I just want to, to say that because unlike, for example, we start with her contemporaries, Elizabeth is her cousin and she has a hymn of praise and her husband, Zachariah, also had a hymn of praise. But both of them were um, anointed by the Holy Spirit to sing that praise. For Mary, it comes from a relationship. Mary's comes straight from the heart. That is something just to note. So she kind of like does something quite different to the others in that way. Her response also puts uh, Zachariah to shame because, of course, when he sees the angel, he is resistant to what the angel has to say, which is why he went dumb until the child was born. Not so Mary. Mary says yes. And she says yes in a way which also highlights her in a better light than the priests and prophets and patriarchs went before her. The ones that we know about tend to be men. So, for example, her response contrasts sharply to that of Moses. Do you remember Moses? You'll have heard of him. Anyway, Moses is somebody who was told, Moses, I've chosen you to be the one who's going to, um, to save my people from their slavery. And his response was, yeah, no, it wasn't. His response was, you've chosen the wrong person. It can't be me because I'm not an eloquent speaker. You must have meant Aaron instead. And so God kind of says, well, okay, you can take Aaron with you, but no, it is you. It is you. And he keeps going, no, no, you really must have got this wrong. I mean, I know you're God and you're cosmic and everything, but you really have just messed this up. You've got, you've got up on the wrong side of the, the bed or something that you've arrived at this. So he was resistant in that way. Jacob also. There are people, the patriarchs and the kings, and they all kind of resisted initially until God kind of like pushed through with them. Not so Mary. Mary responds in faith. Mary responds with not the hesitation, but just the trust that comes from a relationship with God. And so that is something which I think is uh, special. She, her posture towards God and relation to God, all, it all flows from that. So that's why I say this is not about Mary. Mary would hate it to think that this is about her. This is about God's action using her. But it is about the redemption of the world and God's action in the world. So she's a signpost of what God is doing. And that's the important bit that we need to take hold of. We also then get into the issues of political theology, of course, as well, which is challenging at its best. And we need to look at that too. But it sits within a framework, which is one that is God-shaped. This is so crucially important. When we think about the needs and the challenges of the world, it's so tempting for us always to race off into action mode. When actually it needs to come and flow from that relationship with God into the world. That is, that's our Christian distinctive. That's what makes us different, if you like, in that sense to perhaps other groups who do kingdom work, don't get me wrong. But if we're called to be a people, Ecclesia uh, Church means that we're called to be uh, a people, then we are called into relationship with God, and it is from that relationship that flows into love for the world and all of creation. The other thing I wanted to do is just to say 
um, that she challenges the orthodoxy of the time. There were some weird strands that had emerged from the Old Testament into what we have in, in terms of Mary's time. And one of the weird ones was the prosperity gospel, if I can use that phrase, which was that it was a sign of God's blessing if you were rich. That meant, fantastic, God really loves you. And people wanted to hang out with them. And because they're rich, that shows a sign of God's blessing. After all, that's what happened to Abraham. And that's what happened to Isaac. And that's what happened to Jacob. So kind of like that's what we have seen in the past. Solomon was known for his wisdom, but also for his wealth. So I don't know why, but how somehow that thread is sustained even today, let's be honest. We have heard many, uh, many a story of people who preach a prosperity gospel. Just touch the screen, and by the way, send $10. Somehow you're blessed, and that God will bless you if you just do this. Mary's song completely attacks that from the very heart, doesn't it? You know, it's like, instead of that, God will resist the proud and the rich. And so that can feel uncomfortable for people like us living in a wealthy country, in a wealthy city, even though it's got lots of challenges. We might sit and think, ooh, ooh, that feels a bit... But I wanted to kind of throw in an example of where I think it can transform lives. It's good news. Zacchaeus. Do you remember the little guy who was so small they had to climb a tree to see Jesus? So Zacchaeus was a tax collector. So he was incredibly popular with his local people. They hated and despised him because he was somebody who, say he was supposed to charge you uh, 10 denarii. Well, he'll add on, he'll charge you 12 and he'll pocket the two. And that's just how they became very, very rich. But he had heard of this guy, Jesus, and he wanted to see him. And so he goes up, he's very short, as he climbs a tree to see Jesus. Jesus walks by, and Jesus sees him up there in the tree and says, Zacchaeus, come down, because I'm going to go and have tea with you now. He invited him to his home. And Zacchaeus, shocked at this, kind of jumps down and dashes home to get the cooker on. And, uh, and get things going. And the people are offended too because, well, this guy's a crook. What's Jesus going to have supper with him for? And so that is somebody who is very, very wealthy. Jesus goes in and has supper with him. And at the end, when he leaves, Zacchaeus now chooses something but very radical difference in his life. He says, I am going to repay everybody I've diddled multiple times. I'm going to return that which they've been taken away unjustly, and I'm going to add to it. Now, that guy was going to end up financially a lot poorer as a result. Was he happier? Did he have a joy? Were the people stunned? And were they blessed as a result? Do you get the point? This was good news for him, even though he was going to lose money out of it. Because, folks, we can't buy into the same prosperity gospel. You know, stacking up the cash is not a sign of God's blessing. It is what we do with what we've been given is a sign of God's blessing. Those to whom much has been given, much will be expected. And so we need to remember that as we do these things. And so Mary's song addresses some of these things. So the first bit of her song is just her own sense of wonder that God wants to use her. And that is incredibly important to hear, folks, 
because she is from a poor part of the world and she is a young girl not thought significant within her own society and she had no financial means of her own and god has chosen her to be the mother of the savior of the world that's a biggie by the way for those of you who don't know that's a biggie so it confounds all that we understand she has no education she has no family pedigree she comes from a rough part of the world and she has a funny accent and yet god chooses to use her and she just says that my soul magnifies my soul is kind of like lost in wonder awe and praise at what god is doing that looked favor on this lowly servant and this wasn't just about being lowly. this is about somebody from the margins being moved from the margins to being in the center of god's purposes do you see that continually god brings from the margins surely from now on all generations will call me blessed yep <laughs> for the mighty ones has done great things for me holy is his name his mercy is on those who fear him in every generation now from what we know about mary did she have an easy life no she did not was she always poor yes did she have to deal with a fact that she was ashamed of her son and wanted to shut him up at times yes was she also somebody who then had to watch him as he was crucified over a rubbish tip outside the city walls yes but she still says all generations will call me blessed again often we think well if we're blessed it means we're going to have an easy ride in this world the truth is if we're going to deal with the the, the systems that oppress people in this world we're going to come up against opposition we're going to be misunderstood just as mary and her sons misunderstood jesus i mentioned that because remember a little while ago we had the the bit where mary and the brothers are so embarrassed by him that they're waiting to drag him off home and shut him up and that's when he says uh, who is my mother who is my brother they were ashamed of him and then obviously there's been a change of heart and mind because they were then then part of the early church but she did not have an easy life and she had to deal with this child who was both wonderful complex brilliant but really annoying and frustrating too so we have this first beautiful expression of worship in the first few verses and then we move on to the upside down values of the kingdom he has shown strength with his arm he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts he has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly he has filled the hungry with good things the hungry is not just physically hungry the hungry is spiritually hungry too and we know of that time that the people were under occupation they were harassed the religious leadership of the time was not feeding them and sustaining them and they were just feeling that god had kind of abandoned them and now we have this glorious action in god and by the fact that god fulfills the covenant to abraham that abraham's descendants would be the blessing and the healing for all nations finding its fulfillment in jesus and his ultimate birth and then we also have just to finish this magnificat we have also god's faithfulness to his promises he has helped his servant 
Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made our ancestors to Abraham and his descendants forever. Remember the context in which this is happening. Abraham's descendants are under occupation. The situation is bleak. And yet in the midst of this, hope is rekindled. My friends, I don't know about you when you look at the world today, but it does feel literally and metaphorically like the world is on fire. Does it not? Or flooding. You know, it's fire or flooding. We have these horrendous wildfires consuming large tracts of North America and elsewhere. Europe uh, is having its hottest ever, ever, <laughs> as far as records go. So much of Turkey and Greece and parts of there are on fire. And you go a few hundred miles uh, north of there and you find that there's record flooding going on. I then turn the attention to Siberia, uh, which again uh, has had inordinate freak incidents as well. We've had uh, enormous loss of life that has taken place in different parts of the world too. That is just human life. Let's not forget all the animals and creatures that have been devastated too. So we have all of that going on. We have our leaders at different places. We've also seen China sentencing people to death and also to long imprisonments. We have seen Russia turning in on itself, expelling journalists who are independent, particularly the Russian-speaking international journalists have been, are being sent home. And we have a lot going on, but you could think it looks pretty bleak. So you may feel all of those things. And so sometimes hope feels in short supply. Well, I think the Magnificat speaks to that, which is when things were pretty bleak and pretty horrible, God is seen to act. And it's seen to act in a way which is not expected. And I think that's important too, because we think we know how God should act. We think he should just do this and do that. And why has he not done this or that? And I say he, of course, of course, is a trinity, so it's all genders. But you know what I mean? We think we know what God should be doing. Truth is, God is already alive and active in all sorts of ways. We just don't always see it. But we should plead the cause of those on the margins. So friends, as we think about the Magnificat, as we bring this into landing, I simply offer you one last thought on this. What if you prayed through the Magnificat? There's many traditions within the Anglican and Catholic traditions in particular that pray the Magnificat twice a day. And I think there's something there in that. You don't need to pray it. You can meditate on it. You can do all sorts of things with it. You don't even need to recite it every day. But perhaps maybe just take a line from the Magnificat and ponder its meaning for yourself, for the world, and perhaps it may even change our thinking. I offer to you this young woman, a woman in an occupied land with no money or status of her own. But she said yes to God, and mighty were the deeds done as a result. For the blessing and the healing of the nations, we are now adopted into that very same family as Paul makes clear to the church in Ephesus. May we own that and live into that vocation. Amen.